welcome to The Near Memo, a weekly conversation about search, social, and commerce. What happened, why it matters, and the implications for local. Here we are again for another episode of The Near Memo with me and Mike and David, and we're talking about search, social, and commerce. This is uh, fabulous episode 65, remarkably. Um, and of course, uh, as always, there's a lot that's happening, and but we're going to only focus in on three major developments this week. Um, for the rest of what's happened, uh, check out our newsletter and please subscribe if you haven't. Uh, leading off today, we have some very, very sad news about Bill Slosky, um, sort of beloved member of the SEO community who passed away. And Mike, you wanted to say some stuff about sure, that. Sure. Just, um, I was instrumental in my engagement with local in 2007, 2008. He and I and Matt McGee would spend hours every weekend looking at search results and theorizing how they worked. And he would share with me local patents. And I remember this blog post I did with him where uh, sort of a SNL takeoff where I would argue pro and he would argue con about whether Google, whether local at Google was ever going to make it. He took the position that they just weren't good enough at aggregating data. I took the position that there was so much financial interest in making it work both on Google's side and on the side of the business that ultimately it would work good enough. And it was one of these, you know, it, we intentionally slung mud at each other to see how much uh, interest we could uh, get in the in the ongoing discussion. And I went back and David responded to the posts as well. And, you know, he's been somebody who, while I know him professionally, I don't really know him personally, um, but he's always been very generous with his professional time. He spoke at Local U. He would answer, you know, whenever I had a question about a patent, he would go and look up which patents it might apply to. He was very generous with his with his time. And, uh, you know, he had a stroke several months ago. I don't quite remember. And the folks in Local got together and we, we sent him uh, door dashes regularly just so he would not have to go out and, and shop. I don't know what he died of, but I know he had been struggling with recovery from that. And he'll be missed and uh, I'll miss him. And it's, you know, we're in a time of sort of national mourning and now we have this on top of it. So it just reminds me that life is transient, life is fragile, and you need to appreciate the people around you when you can. And you need yeah. to tell them. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I didn't I didn't know Bill very well, but I'd had contact with him for for many years. He used to be a contributor to Search Engine Land when I started, uh, you know, fifteen fifteen years ago, and so we had contact uh, informally that way. And I, I I just always found him to be a person of tremendous uh, integrity and depth and authenticity. You know, he was just really um, just a good person, and uh, so it's very. I haven't had contact with him very much in the last few years, but very sad that he's gone. And I know based on the Twitter responses that there were a lot of people who he, who he touched and, and who also feel the same way. And I just wanted to echo your sentiment, Mike, about, you know, appreciating people and life is very, very short and things can happen at any time suddenly. And you, you know, suddenly somebody's gone. And so it's, it's just, you, you have to, you have to really appreciate what you've got while you've got it. Yeah, I was wondering if there's some way to better memorialize him than Twitter stream. I mean, I, I get well, that people are mourning, and and this is yeah, how we this is how we know each other is through Twitter to a large extent. But, but it's it's kind of horrible. It's kind of horrible 
you know, the way that I, I, I don't want to critique Twitter. This is just sort of the world we're living in, but it's just, it, it, I agree. It's kind of not entirely appropriate in some, in some sense. So Barry I, Schwartz, when, when Bill had his stroke, however many months ago that was, nine months ago, a year ago, uh, Barry Schwartz put together a sort of tribute site to Bill, which I think is really nice. And that's, uh, I hope, is going to be sort of permanently archived. Um, and hopefully Bill got a chance to, you know, see a lot of the same comments that are now posted on Twitter uh, in, in more depth uh, while he was alive. So um, that, you know, that's somewhat heartening. Um, I think that in terms of an ongoing sort of memorial, you know, it might be worth, you know, the three of us reaching out and seeing what we can sort of drum up with Barry's help, given that that, you know, that was sort of his his project um, is, is kind of one thought I had. Mike, I'm, I'm heartened to know that I'm in good company as someone who's lost a bet or two to you uh, in terms of being on the wrong side of history. Um, if Bill, if that puts me in Bill's court, I'm, I'm happy to be there. Good, good company. Um, yeah, for <laughs> well, sure. And I, I just wanted to echo your thoughts just around, you know, I, I, um, I don't think I discovered Bill's writing maybe and research quite as early in my SEO career as you did. Uh, it was a, maybe a little bit later on, but, um, Certainly one of the, I mean, I can remember reading his blog posts on on those local patents and and certainly helped me understand the concept of citations, uh, which, you know, sort of drove a lot of my early success in, in the industry. Um, I think his, couldn't agree more in terms of his, his generosity and kindness in, in person, uh, was terrific to have him keynote one of our earlier uh, local U events, um, you know, in the early teens or whatever we're calling that decade. And and I can remember my first PubCon um, in probably 2008 or so. And I was, I was totally a nobody. I was just a you know, regular attendee, hadn't spoken anywhere or anything. And he and, and Kim Krausberg as well, sort of, you know, just, they were going out to a restaurant or something for dinner and they just invited me to come along and, and I got to meet two incredibly smart, uh, kind people in the space and, talk with them for hours. And, and, uh, it was really, you know, just, uh, certainly there's plenty of people in our space who would not have, who would not have had time or interest in that sort of thing. And, um, Bill was not one of them. Bill was a really, really generous guy and, and a really smart guy. And, um, certainly I, I remember feeling something similar with, uh, the news of Eric Ward's passing, uh, several years ago now, but, um, you know, two of the, two of the real sort of original, uh, thinkers and and people who were really generous with their knowledge and and uh, hope that those of us who are still around in the industry can kind of live up to their examples uh, moving forward and continue to share what we know and and hope that, that helps uh, others in their careers and and make sense of what's happening in the the world of search. For sure, yeah, his patent discoveries <laughs> or uncovered the local patent largely informed that research we did in 2008, large-scale research we did around ranking factors and correlations, and largely informed my understanding of you know, the work we did there on top of, which was practical assessments on top of the patent, really informed the first, until the knowledge graph came out in 2012, it sort of was the, the operating structure. And still, that structure that he uncovered became the knowledge graph to a right. large extent, right? Mm -hmm. The things that, that that patent talked about became what effectively was the core of the original knowledge graph 
uh, in terms of how Google tracked all of these things. Um, and so it was very instrumental in my career and life. And in, in fairness to he Bill, will be as a, he will be yeah, missed. absolutely. He will be missed. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. As a sort of a final note, in fairness to uh, Bill and your early debate about the, uh, the future of local and Google's, Google's uh, ownership of that, you know, in the very, very early days, in the early 2000s, you know, it was it was it was very hard to see Google having great success because they didn't have access to the to the small business data, to the local data. And, you know, while they were a very powerful technology company, there were others that were much better positioned than them in terms of the in terms of the information. So Bill was not completely, uh, you know, out of out of line in his thinking. I mean, it's only through through hindsight and you're incredibly prescient, you know, kind of view, uh, time well, traveling view also, that you though, could have, uh, the same economic factors that I talked about was what led to so much and leads to so much spam that we do. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's this double, it's the same side of, it's the other side of the coin that we deal with every day that Google has never wanted to confront, you know, the way Google resolved the lack of, uh, local data was they stole it from the super pages. Yeah. Well, they they had they, they had yeah. That's a whole other discussion. They had they had deals with those companies. I mean, you could you could argue that Google's early relationships with what they called their um, I forget what they called them actually. They called them partners. Um, you know, were, know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The the these these many companies that fed local data into Google uh, did so because of Google's preeminence in consumer facing search, and they and, and it was really sort of a quasi-monopoly power move, you know, they, Google could extract the, the value that these companies had because they were the distribution point. And if you didn't do a deal with Google, you know, then maybe you weren't going to get the traffic or the exposure that you, you needed in order to continue to monetize. But that's another conversation. So let's, let's move to um, the item I'm going to talk about, which is one of the things coming out of uh, Google I.O. last week that I didn't talk about last week, so I wrote about it on Monday, which was my ad center, which was one of the 100 announcements Google made, or roughly 100 announcements made, made at um, I.O. And Google showed some screenshots that indicate that users will be, be able to, there's a couple ways to access this. This is through an ad itself or through privacy controls or settings. Um, and you, you'll be able to essentially upvote or downvote certain kinds of topics. Um, uh, it's basically topics and, and brands. And then there's a third category for sensitive, uh, sensitive types of ads, gambling, pregnancy and parenting, weight loss, alcohol. And, and, and users can express interest or disinterest by clicking a plus or minus sign. And so the idea here under the guise of privacy is that, you know, you're going to be able to tell Google, I don't want to see ads on this. I want to see ads on, on that. And it looks like it's got a pretty user-friendly uh, UI. So it's very interesting on, on a couple of levels. Um, the, um, the uh, I forget what the acronym is, the, the, the Uber uh, organization that combines all the different ad trade groups, DAA, I don't remember. Um, has ad choices, right? Which you see is the little icon in the corner of display ads uh, across the internet. And typically, that that has had stood for the same proposition. You can, I mean, it's it's an it's an opt out uh, op 
opt-out capability, so less granular. But it's been an absolute failure um, in its entire you know run. Lack of awareness, lack of engagement. The ad industry holds it out as a, a kind of a argument for self-regulation. Um, I wonder how close this will be to to that experience, and I wonder if people will use this, or if mostly people will just ignore it and not do it. Well, let's assume people do use it. I see it as, I mean, while it is being positioned as consumer-friendly, choice-friendly, privacy-friendly, I really wonder whether in this data, Google isn't extracting massive amounts of personalization. So if they do use it, they now know that you don't like these things or you like these brands and not those brands. I mean, I just see it as a- Well, that's pretty, that's explicit. it's explicit. Yeah, I it's, think. A, it's a means yeah. of being able to charge advertisers more to hit an audience that has expressed a preference in a particular thing. So, yeah, right. yeah if I say I want, looking I want, I want saying... ads from Irish golf resorts, absolutely. <laughs> Irish golf resorts are well, going to be spending so... top dollar for my, my but eyeballs. But I mean, is that, is, that a bad, is that a bad thing? I mean, just let me play devil's advocate. I mean, I would rather not, personally, I would rather not reveal anything about my interest to anyone online so uh to, for, well, for that, advertisers so that, to consume so yeah i mean the, you, I, I agree but but and that's the app tracking t- transparency ask not to trap track uh capability but i mean for people that I mean, as i've said before if you go into ad choices and you completely opt out you know i think i haven't done it in a while but the com- process that used to be fairly cumbersome but if you do that um you get three kinds of ads, basically gambling, really low quality dating, and Viagra. You know, it's funny. I have no, I did the same thing, and I've noticed I'm getting a bunch of senior dating ads these days. Exactly, exactly. It's horrible. <laughs> it's really horrible. It's Which I like, hope it's it, not actually personal. <laughs> well, it just shows they've got the wrong information about you. You're you're definitely not a not a senior, but um, it's 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 kind of horrible. And you realize, oh, I do want some some level of personalization but not but we, what, what you don't want is like all the behind the scenes data capturing and transferring and you know right. syndication of that data well, so i guess I, what, I, I, I what i what i really want is a threshold for this is an acceptable horizontal ad that can be shown to anyone mm-hmm. right google google should be setting that yeah if ford macy's or somebody wants to advertise to a generic swath of Americans, fine, but seniorsingles.com should not just, they just shouldn't be allowed to advertise to anyone. I, I, I think it's, I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm just as quick to criticize Google as anybody, but I think in this situation, I, I, I mean, I don't want to be completely cynical. I do think that Google's, everything that Google does is self-interested, of course. Um, Google is trying to manage this transition sort of kind of on the heels of Apple trying to manage this transition from, you know, hyper-targeting to something sort of more privacy-friendly. I don't think this is a bad solution, um, notwithstanding what you're saying, Mike, about extracting all this personalized information. But I think that the, the big challenge with it is, well, what's really going to happen? Is Google is this, is this Google going to really honor this? I mean, I'm, I'm giving Google all kinds of feedback on the ads that I see around the, the internet, you know, seen this ad too many times, ad is inappropriate. I just give them all kinds of like messages that are, you know, I just try and F with them basically, not that they care. Um, but I see the same ads. It doesn't seem to have any impact on, yeah. wh- on what I want to see. So is, is this going to work? That's what I'm saying, Greg. I feel like this is, this is a very self-interested 
self-interested solution on Google's part for the exact reason that Mike highlighted. And what would actually be better for consumers is a notion of a display ad quality score, which they clearly have for their, you know, traditional ads in SERPs. But how would so, how would that work? You're saying people would if, would no, authorize if, if a certain number of a generic a certain percentage of a generic population sample says I don't want to see these, that advertiser should not be allowed oh, to I advertise see. I the see general population. Saying. I yeah. see what you're saying. Yeah. So uh, uh, I have I mean I have to think that enough people have clicked don't show me this on the kinds of ads that you're seeing that 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 advertiser just shouldn't show up anymore. So, right. Um, and and you, you could offer that solution without asking anybody for any personal information. Well, I mean, I think ultimately, I think ultimately it needs to go in two directions. I think there need to be contextual ads that that don't rely on any personalization at all. And uh, and then an opt in. And this is kind of a quasi opt in. But but it should be an opt in like what Apple is doing. It's like, you know, I want to see personalized ads. Here's what that means. Or I don't. And otherwise, I'm seeing contextual ads. I don't think it should be some sort of shades of gray kind of thing. I mean, I've opted out a lot at Google, and I get harangued by them all the time about opting in if I want to see better results. And it's like, uh, well, like Instagram now, this, is a, this is a family it's like Instagram podcast. now requiring me to enter my birthday to see more Instagram. I'm like, no, I haven't even yeah, logged yeah. exactly. in a year. So yeah, it's it's it, yeah. I mean, the, these the you know, it's like it's like we've got two. There's it's it, it, one of the things that I, I I'm writing about today is the the DuckDuckGo and the Apple um, new campaigns around privacy, and you know, we it's like unless there's some we've got two sort of forces going on. We've got we've got potential regulation, which is who knows if it's gonna happen in fact, and then we've got market competitive forces. And so we've got Apple and DuckDuckGo and others that are pushing privacy as a marketing campaign, which is having some impact on Google. And you know, Google's trying to respond by by splitting the baby and it's well it remains to be seen how many people engage engage with this. So, okay, so now on to you, David, for the uh, third item today, which uh, is coming out of um, uh, Andrew Shotland's blog, Local SEO Guide, about um, click-throughs and their impact on rankings. So take that away. Yeah, it's a content week at Local SEO Guide, apparently, because he's also put out a study uh, that I think Bill would be very interested to read uh, if he were still here around the... Uh, the need for or, or the degree to which exact match business names can help uh, influence rankings. Um, so that's that's an aside. That was a different different topic. But this morning he was out with a, a pretty timely post on um, the impact of the baby formula shortage on, I presume, one of his clients, uh, which he didn't name, but uh, where he he's showing the radical increase in rankings for a particular page on a client's website that is talking about baby formula. Um, over the last, you know, X number of weeks, he said the page was on page two plus, and it's now, you know, skyrocketed up to the top handful of results. And so his theory is, which I think is a really interesting theory. And in my mind, it is it is as likely as any other theory I can come up with. His theory is that, okay, all of these net big enterprise national retailers, Walmart, Amazon, Kroger, whatever, are completely out of baby formula. The search volume for baby formula is is 
off the charts now because of all the, the shortages, the shortages. And, and what's in the news. And so people are clicking a result on, say, Walmart.com. Walmart is out of it. They hit the back button. They go to the next result. They see Amazon's out. They hit the back button. And so Google is is ingesting all of these uh, bad user experience, uh, bad user experience in quotes, uh, experiences um, and promoting sites up further up the list that aren't that don't have those bad click-through uh, signals. And so this flies in the face of a lot of what um, Google representatives have said in the past, that click-through rate doesn't influence position and all of that stuff, which I've always found to be uh, at best splitting hairs with their definition of click-through rate and user experience. Um, and it certainly Rand Fishkin did an experiment to disprove all of that propaganda uh, at MozCon, I don't know, at this point, probably six or seven years ago, where he had 2,000 people in the MozCon audience, you know, click the same result for a certain search term uh, that actually moved the position of that result within the same 45 minutes of his talk. In real, in real time. In, in real, real time. time. Um, oh, well. And so it's been very clear. There's been enough examples of this that the click-through rate has a significant uh, impact that I think this is just one more example of of, Although, of as you point out, it might not be specifically the click-through rate. It Time might be site. the linger rate or the yeah, sure. whatever, right? It's, right? it's like Google tends to split those hairs with the intent with the with intentional obfuscation. So that's right. It might have not been the click-through, right? So who knows what the actual signal is? It doesn't matter in practice. It's what happens. Well, I yeah, mean, so, I think anyway. Go, go ahead, Greg. Sorry. No, no, David, finish. I'm getting a weird delay on what I was going to say is recording system. what I was going to say is that it's an effective way for Google to deal with the problem, right? If these places have this in inventory and the other ones don't, the movement of people to these lower ranking sites indicates they do. And, and Google responds appropriately to everybody's well-being. Well, yeah. so and I think so Andrew's advice for, for, for sites who are in this kind of, you know, he calls it the panic buying sort of moment. Um, and he noted that he had seen it with hand sanitizer uh, previously back in, you know, March 2020 or April 2020. Um, that I think his advice for brands here is, is really sound, which is to, you know, first of all, try to capture information from consumers before they bounce back to Google. Don't lose that click, you know, offer them a discount for a future purchase or for a related purchase, like in this case, diapers or whatever. Um, to try to keep them on the, you know, try to at least keep them in your funnel. Um, and then the second thing is, uh, you know, some sort of, of truly like a marketing initiative to identify what you're doing to address the shortages and to promote mm -hmm. this fact, the fact that you are, you know, empathetic to this problem and that you're, you're trying to, you know, make things at least a little bit better for customers who are buying other baby related supplies. Um, so I thought both of those were really, really great pieces of advice. And, and just the, the case study itself was interesting, as was his theory. So really great post to, to check out if you've got a few minutes this weekend. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that's interesting is that if the time on site or the, or the you know, the, the linger rate or whatever your, whatever the term of art would be, uh, putting that additional content on those sites will, will boost that time and give Google the, the signal that this is a, you know, that this is a better experience or whatever. Um, so that's kind of an in interesting way to trick Google in a certain sense. So. And more importantly, not lose the customer. In the, yes. The long I mean, that's ultimately what you want to do is you want to deliver a better experience to the customer. You know, you should be focused right. on the customer. Um, 
I, you know, I wonder, I wonder how, how product inventory factors into this at all. I mean, I don't, I don't know if anybody's feeding baby formula as a, as a kind of a real time inventory to the extent that anybody has it into, into the, uh, well, we, the so we talked center. about this on a recent near memo, right? That we actually do think inventory, uh, in stock inventory at local businesses will influence how well, well, it should, it absolutely should. Yeah, it absolutely should. I mean, that's something that's really consistent with intent. If somebody is looking for a particular product or brand, if you've got that and Google has that information, it absolutely should influence, right? Yeah. So, all right. Well, I guess we've come to the end of another exciting near memo with sad news, of course, about Bill. Um, you know, please subscribe to Near Media, the Near Media newsletter. And um, I don't know, you guys want to say anything before we go this week? Just remember to reach out to those you love. Yes, absolutely. And even those that you don't absolutely. reach out to that yes. often. Say, say I love you to your family and friends and uh, appreciate them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. See you next week. Thanks for joining David, Mike, and Greg. To stay on top of the latest developments in local, subscribe to our newsletter at nearmedia.co. We'll see you next week.